Humanities Building, Room 104, at the PCC Cascade Campus, 705 North Killingsworth Street in Portland. Again, that's the 29th Annual Cascade Festival of African Films from Friday, February 1st through Saturday, March 2nd. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Kabu Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor Golden Years in the Red on Tuesday, January 29th at 5.30 p.m. at the Multnomah County Central Library in Portland. Golden Years in the Red with student debt will feature informational speakers and people who will share their stories about debt, including garnishment of Social Security checks for student debt when grandparents and parents co-sign student loans. Again, that's Golden Years in the Red on Tuesday, January 29th at 5.30 p.m. at the Central Library, 810 Southwest 10th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Good morning. You are listening to KBOO Portland and coming up at 11 on stage and studio, D-Mate discusses the play Hazardous Beauty with playwright Bonnie Ratner and director Josie Seed. And at 11.30 on Art Focus, Amanda Clem interviews artist Manu Torres about his floral still lifes at Russell Lee Gallery. All of these KBOO programs are made possible by member support. If you'd like to become a member, Go to kboo.fm and click on Donate. And now at the top of the hour, it's Flashpoints with Dennis Bernstein. But first, I want to thank everybody. KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO listener members and support from Gazelle Consulting, providing HIPAA compliance and IT security services to the businesses throughout Portland and across the West Coast, including HIPAA consulting, software, and risk assessments and trainings. More information online at gazelleconsulting.org. And now, flashpoints. From Tucson, Arizona, where living under U.S. military occupation has become a reality of everyday life, this is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, Sierra Club Executive Director for the Borderlands, Dan Millis, talks about the destruction of wildlife, fauna, and flora at the border. Also, Millis talks about being tried for carrying water to the desert and leaving it for refugees so they don't die of thirst while fleeing north. And we'll speak to investigative journalist Todd Miller about the expanding militarization of the U.S.-Mexico border. I'm Dennis Bernstein with Miguel Gavila Molina. All this straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned.
You're listening to a special edition of Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We are here in Tucson, and we are trying to document the various impacts that uh, the militarization of the border is having and the policies uh, uh, from the uh, United States government that have been sort of uh, malfunctioning for some time now. Uh, We're delighted to be joined by Todd Miller. He has uh, been reporting extensively about the impact of the militarization of the border. His latest book is Storming the Wall, Climate Change, Migration, and Homeland Security. And uh, we are uh, grateful that you have invited us into your house. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I want people to know a little bit about your background. You have been deeply engaged in reporting about the border impacts of free trade and the militarization of the border. Could you just give us a general background of what your beat's been and what you've been up to? I've been uh, reporting on border issues um, probably since the late 1990s, early 2000s, and that's about the same time um, where in southern Arizona, where where we are right now, uh, we started hearing uh, stories about uh, bodies being found in the in the desert, bodies of people, border crossers, or people crossing into the United States. And it was really at that point that I started reporting in very small venues at that in, in in that era about um, you know really trying to look in in depthly into what were the reasons behind why people were coming. What was what were the border policies that were forcing people into the desert and desolate areas and that sort of thing and and I did that for many years and I also um, during that time lived in Oaxaca Mexico for about four years from about 2005 to 2009 also while in Oaxaca I was looking at um, root causes of immigration so, so to speak like what were the economic policies coming from the United States. Um, that were at least influencing uh, how you know how people lived in communities in, in southern Mexico and communities many of them where lots of people had left and and gone north and so migration was becoming more and more a factor and trying to look at you know some of those uh, economic models um, that seemed to benefit large corporations but but were um, not so beneficial to you know regular people. My first book was Border Patrol Nation, and then my second book was also looking at, at climate change and the displacement and how the U.S. government is looking into the future 15, 25, 50, 100 years into the future and seeing climate displacement as something to respond to with further border militarization. I want to pick you up right there. Talk about the expanding militarization of the border. I mean, this, I guess, started with uh, uh, Clinton, uh, really uh, started to build up. Uh, talk about that. Sure, yeah, um, Clinton. Well, one of, the, one of the really interesting things to look at when we look at the current border apparatus is a congressional hearing in 1992 when Doris Meisner, who was the commissioner of INS, stood before Congress and said, we need to harden our borders. We need to um, further harden our borders because the North American Free Trade Agreement, which is, a, uh, of course, it was already about, it already passed, but it was going to be implemented in 1994, was going to cause migration from Mexico into the United States. And so basically, Meisner, Meisner said that to Congress, and then Clinton, the Clinton administration said, 
okay, we're going to do it. And there, and um, and so a number of operations happened in, in during the Clinton administration, particularly in the mid 1990s. Operation Hold the Line, Operation Gatekeeper, Operation Safeguard, um, and these operations centered around different border cities, which were traditional safe places for people to cross, um, under a strategy known as prevention through deterrence. So what the idea was was that with bigger budgets. And if you look in the 1990s, the budget started to double. And then at one point towards the end of the Clinton administration, even almost triple. That's how it was a historic growth of the of the U.S. border apparatus. And it, with those budgets came walls. So the wall that we're talking about right now, well, you go back to the 1990s and you see these these big walls being constructed in Nogales and San Diego and Brownsville and in El Paso. And then more agents were hired. So by the end of the, by 2000 or by 2001, there's 10,000 border patrol agents. And the whole idea of the strategy was they were gonna seal off these safer places to cross and that people would have to funnel around those places and go into places that, that were desolate, dangerous, like the Arizona desert, which would be too dangerous to cross. And so you have that kind of blueprint fundamental of prevention through deterrence from the 1990s which is a strategy still in place today which if you if you if you think if you look at all the media reports about the border like you know let's just look at the last month i don't think one of you know very few are going to mention the actual border strategy that's been in place for for over 20 years but that's where the border we have the beginnings of the kind of militarized border we have from there the post 9-11 era 2001 happens and all of a sudden the you know the Department of Homeland Security is formed and the border and Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement are formed are created under the Department of Homeland Security and the budgets come in the budgets start to flow even more and so what happened was that basically the Border Patrol and ICE they get a uh, their priority mission becomes stopping terrorists and weapons of mass destruction from crossing the border, of which there's not one documented case of. But why does that matter? Because the budget started to flow even more. So, so if you look from from uh, 1994, the annual budget for border enforcement was 1.5 billion dollars. In 2018, last year, it was 23 billion dollars. And and for and and when Trump took office, it was 20 20 billion dollars. So we're looking at massive historic growth of the border budgets over the last 25 years. And talk a little bit about the impact in terms of the quality of life. We've talked earlier, uh, I was down here reporting for Newsday in the late 1980s, and at that time you could go to uh, a wedding on the Mexican side of Nogales and then go to the reception, just hop over a fence or just come through a little trail, and the reception would be in Nogales, Arizona. Talk about the quality of life and the kinds of impact this militarization has had. I'm glad you brought up that example. That example is so good. And you hear, like, you go down to Nogales, you hear all kinds of examples that are very similar. Uh, the September 16th Independence Day Parade used to weave on either side back of the border, back and forth, back and forth. Um, if there's a fire on the Mexican side or fire on the U.S. side, uh, you know, fire trucks from either side would go to the other side to help fight the fire. The, the kind of cross-border community ties are very strong. You know, there's brothers and sisters, mothers, and you know, uh, parents and children, cousins, friends. Uh, 
one one friend of mine he used to talk about going through the hole in the chain link fence there was a chain link fence but it was filled with holes and he he said we used to complain about the little chamaco which is like the little kid that would uh charge us a peso for crossing through this hole you know and that's not to say that there weren't problems like the border patrol was formed in 1924 so they were around they just were not is it significant? They didn't have a wall. And then 1994, if you take the example of Nogales, March of 1994, all of a sudden the chain link fence is extracted. The landing mats, they use landing mats from the Vietnam War and the Persian Gulf Wars were brought in and they constructed an almost 20 foot high wall with those landing mats. So talk about militarization right of the border, literal. Yeah, right there for at least 10 mile. I think, I can't remember exact the exact um, length of it, but it was... So, you know, at least five to 10 miles of landing of, of, of a wall, 20 feet. It's, you know, 20 feet is pretty high, um, right through Nogales. So the, the chain link fence gone, it, it cuts right through, you know, where there's all those ties. The, the people in Nogales say um, on either side of the border, they call it, they call it ambos Nogales because um, the, the, the idea is that there, it's not two communities, it's one community. Right. And so this wall just cuts right through that one community and you can see that everywhere that you know the kind of the boundary the u.s mexico boundary goes um along the length of the 2000 miles it's always cutting through communities that are intimately tied you know from like if you go a little bit further to the west you have the tonatum um, nation which if you look at the tonatum nation it's the second um largest native american reservation in terms of size in the United States, the size of the state of Connecticut, but it's just a fraction of their of the Aboriginal land of the Tonawatam, who extended deep deep into Mexico and deep, you know, all the way to practically to Phoenix and pr pretty much a good chunk of southern Arizona, and uh, and so when the when the surveyors came and after um, in eighteen fifty three and they after the Gadsden Purchase or in the Mexican American War. Um, and they just started building this boundary line right through the Tonawatam Nation. It's like somebody going into a, a, a town in Kansas and, and and going to some random town and going, okay, boom, we're gonna like, we're gonna create this boundary right through the middle of your town. And and then next thing you know, you have agents guarding this boundary, and you have people, you know, from the Tonawatam and I, again on either side of the border who. You know, not it's it's the family and community ties and the cultural ties and you know people on the Mexican side go to cells, which is the town on the Tonawatam Nation, to go um, to the hospital and to go to school and and the and the and now they have to deal with this border apparatus. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacific Radio. We're speaking with Todd Miller here in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, this is an expended report by the Flashpoints team to document what's been going on at the border, the militarization uh, of the border. Could you talk a little bit about s some of the abject brutalities uh, that aren't all that uh, well publicized in the rest of the country? Yeah, there's plenty of them. One that immediately comes to mind is um, on in October of 2012 when a Border Patrol agent shot 16 times into Mexico. They say they wanted to see through it, but you also can put a gun through it and shoot through it. And that's exactly what happened. Um, a young man named Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez was walking to meet his brother where he was working at his store. And he was shot um, almost, I think, 10 times in the back. The Border Patrol um, claims that he was throwing rocks 
And if you if you look at where it happened, it's um it's like a twenty foot like Nogales is a city of many canyons, and there's a canyon that's at least twenty feet or twenty five feet, and then there's a twenty foot wall, right? So for so if you stand under there, you have to look like at least forty feet, and imagine trying to um shoot a rock or that would be harmful to somebody on the other side of the wall um but that was what they what that was, what, the, that was the claim that justified according to the border patrol agent him shooting into mexico and so that's one example of um of of many and unfortunately of of people being killed um you know what Border Patrol calls excessive use of force, which has, um, I don't have the exact stats on me right now, but it has risen, especially in the last 10 years. And it's risen, of course, with the expansion of the Border Patrol. And the expansion's been very significant. Again, if you go from 1994, where there's 4,000 agents, to now, there's between 21 and 22,000. So there's a five-fold increase. There are more agents with more weapons, 